Happy New Year, everybody. 2014. And we begin this year. Unusual message I want to teach to you today to get you started for the new year, and I'll tell you why. I want to talk to you about the benefits of an adversary. No, I'm not talking to you married people. The benefits of an adversary. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this world. Now, I want you to think of something. In the Garden of Eden, in a perfect environment, before there was any sin, before the fall of Adam, there was an adversary. The adversary was already in the garden when God placed Adam there. Because an adversary or an opponent is vital to your success. There are tremendous benefits that will come to you by facing and overcoming an adversary. Enemies create movement. Your present will become permanent without an enemy. Israel would have stayed in Egypt if Pharaoh hadn't made it necessary to leave. Enemies unlock your imagination. Enemies expose your weaknesses. If you don't know what they are, the enemy will reveal them. Enemies are the gateway to significance. When you run from an adversary, you delay promotion. Your significance is determined by the enemy you choose to conquer. Everybody gets an enemy. You will only be known for the enemy who conquers you or the enemy you conquer. Rodeo bull riders know that you get more points for eight seconds on a bad-to-the-bone bull than an old passive cow. Divers know in swim Olympics that you get more points for attempting a higher-risk dive. Ice skaters know you get more points if you do a triple Lutz than a double Lutz. <laughs> Would you, some of you this year need to get a triple Lutz, okay? You've been, you've been, you, you know, you've been doing the little two plus two skating. It's time to jump. You, you need to up the risk factor a little bit because there's no payoff for low risk. So the higher the risk, the greater the reward. The greater the adversary, the greater the payoff. Your friends will create comfort. Enemies create promotion. David would not be known had it not been for Goliath. When Goliath showed up, promotion was being offered, and David faced the adversary, which led ultimately to his being king of Israel. The kind of enemy you're willing to overcome determines the kind of reward you'll receive. Genesis 3 says, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, and the greater the opponent, the greater the spoil. So if you're going to prosper and reach your destiny in 2014, there will be in your future and mine many adversaries. I know you'd rather hear me saying, I'll fly away, but I'm sorry. You're going to have to stay and fight. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, St. Paul says, for a great wide door of opportunity is open to me. That's good. But there are many adversaries. The greater the opportunity, the greater the challenge. God leads Israel to the promised land. It's already inhabited by adversaries. 
before Israel can inherit it, they have to displace the enemy. But God said he had already given us the land, Moses. Legally, it's yours, but you have to possess it. And that means you have to fight. So there are a whole lot of benefits God gave you. Why would he tell you to put on the whole armor of God? Why would he tell you to resist the devil? He will flee from you. Why would he tell you whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven if he didn't think you should fight? Coming to church is not fighting. Going to Green Bay to the minus 14 below, buying a ticket and sitting there, that's not only stupid, that's dangerous. (laughs) I can't imagine minus 14 sitting still under a blanket or anything. I don't care how good you are. You ain't that good. I'm stay home and watch you on widescreen TV. And every place or level God's going to bring you, there will be a demand for you to displace that which occupies your space. Once the enemy discovers where you're supposed to go, he will immediately try to occupy it to keep you from it. In Matthew 13, we have the parable we're all aware of, the parable of the sower. A sower went forth to sow. He sowed good seed in the soil. But while men slept, the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. When the people went to the fields, they discovered that the weeds were growing in the field with the good seed. And the owner of the field said, an enemy has done this. They said, shall we gather up the tares? They said, no, you're going you're gonna to hurt the wheat if you do that. Let them both grow to the end until harvest, and then I'll say to the reapers, gather first the tares, bind them in bundles, and burn them. Then gather the wheat into my barn. So Jesus says, all the way to the end of the earth, tares are going to be sown into the good ground of our lives and our future. Every area that's part of your destined promised land the enemy will sow tares in it. So while we live in this life, there will always be good seed and bad seed you have to deal with. Now, when your assignment is given, when it's understood or announced, immediately you'll face an enemy. In Genesis 22, verse 27, the blessing of Abraham speaks of that enemy. God says that in blessing I will bless you, And in multiplying, I'll multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. That's a fight. There are going to be adversaries. Abraham's a blessed man. He's a favored man. But nothing's going to happen unless he fights. He had adversaries. You'll have adversaries. Everybody has adversaries. And as a believer, God's desire is for you and for your children to be victorious against every adversary. And our seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. We will knock them down. That that includes opposition, advancement, taking the fight to the enemy. God controls the adversaries that are in front of you, and he will never put you in a situation you can't handle. Now, you alone might not be able to handle it, but God in you can. And it's important that he will never allow more to be placed on you than you're able to bear, he says. Now, you could whine, I just can't believe this is happening to me. I can't take another day of this. And God says, oh, shoot, yeah, you can watch. I'll show you. Have you ever tried that little escape? Lord, I can't take another day of this. And he says, yeah, you can watch. I'll prove it to you. You can. 
God's grace is sufficient. Whatever you have to go through, God designs you like an architect structurally built a building or a bridge. He knows the stresses that you can take. He knows the strength. And so He will never allow you to be engaged in something over your head. I won't be able to handle it on my own, but it's God in me or in you that allows us to be able to overcome it. So the battle is not fought in my flesh, it's fought in the spiritual. So God arms you and me with spiritual weapons that we need to fulfill our purpose. When your assignment is given, when your anointing is declared, the enemy is quickly revealed. David gets anointed as king as a teenager, and with a few days, he's facing a giant named Goliath. Your anointing level is defined by the size of the giant you face. Though David was just a teenager, the giant was 10 feet tall. But David's anointing and call and gift was that of a giant, although at the moment he was only a teenager. The size of your enemy, the size of the attack, reveals how strong the anointing or call on your life is. It's not how strong David's flesh was or yours. It's how strong the calling, the anointing, the purpose was on his life. Jesus gets anointed after his baptism by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove. Heavens open. The Father speaks from heaven in Matthew 4. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And instantly, he's commissioned, he's anointed, and the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness to confront his enemy. The enemy is quickly revealed in front of you, and Jesus sees his arch enemy, Satan, 40 days and 40 nights. He's tempted by the adversary. Here's another one to prove the point. In Acts 13, verse 2, as the apostles ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to do. And when the apostles had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now, when you get promoted, it won't be by men or it won't last. It'll be by God. Don't promote yourself before God does, else you're going to step into a ring you're not prepared to handle. God, some people are premature. Premature babies are high risk. They have to go to neonatal care. They're not fully developed yet. When you try to promote yourself, and we live in America, the land of self-promotion, you're going to get yourself into the ring with somebody who's going to bite your ear off. But when God promotes you, you're ready. You're confident. You're equipped. You're ready. He will never over-promote you. So I know you're an American and you're an American charismatic, but stay put until God promotes you. So here the Holy Spirit speaks. He calls these two men to go out. The apostles lay hands on them. They pray and they're sent. And it says in verse 4, being sent by the Holy Spirit, they departed to Seleucia and from there to Cyprus and from there to Salamis. And they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John to help them minister. And when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the governor of the country. Sergius Paulus was his name, a prudent man. And he called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Uh, just by the way, the gospel of Jesus is not only for the poor, but for presidents and governors and mayors and city officials and senators and congressmen, for rulers and officials and presidents and CEOs. God wants them all to be confronted with good news. And the, when the ruler gives his life to Christ and his heart to Jesus, he's going to have impact among other leaders in a positive way. Laws can be changed. People are free to speak the good news without fear of reprisal 
or restraint. So Paul gets anointed and he gets called, and in a few days, just like we said, he confronts an adversary. Verse 8, but Elymas the sorcerer withstood Paul and Barnabas, seeking to turn away the governor from the faith. Then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, set his eyes on him and said, you full of all subtlety and all mischief, you child of the devil, you enemy of all all righteousness. Paul is being very politically correct here, isn't he? I want to tell you something. Paul would make straight hair perm when you get in front of this guy and he gets a little bit ticked. He looks at this guy, set his eyes, I got my eye on you like a sniper. You son of mischief and subtlety, you child of the devil, will you not stop to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of God is upon you. You shall be blinded, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking somebody to lead him by the hand. Then the governor, when he saw what was done, believed on Christ, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord." This official believed because he saw Paul engage an adversary. And when Paul did, Paul got the reward, which was the governor's soul. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not an AK-47 or an AR-15, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So God has equipped us with spiritual weapons for spiritual war. Our warfare is spiritual, not earthly against principalities, against rulers of the darkness, and spiritual wickedness in high places. So our weapons are spiritual. They're not carnal. However, may I pause for a moment? Most of your struggles will not be with spirits, ghosts, or paranormal activity, but with people. Let me explain. Your struggles will be with people who are influenced and coerced by these spirits. These spirit powers have to have a body to operate and manifest in the earth. God himself put his spirit in a body called Adam that was dead so he could come alive. God's spirit still works through people like evil spirits work either through or upon people. So these evil spirits always look to maneuver through people. That means that people are not our enemy. It is the spirit that influences or controls them, that is. People are an access point between heaven and hell. So if heaven's going to invade earth, God's got to do it through you. If God's going to move in our city, it'll be through you and me. See, God needs a body just like the enemy needs a body. God said, I sought for a man to stand in the gap and make up the hedge, but I found none. God looks for people. And if you're a willing vessel, God will use you. People say, well, he had a divorce, or well, they had this problem. Well, they were arrested when they were 20 for drugs or something. Hey, if you're moving, God will use you. You sit there proud, proper, perm up your hair, brag about what you didn't do and won't go, won't risk, won't move, and God says, I'm going to give the ball to Leroy. He's moving. Here, catch. God will use the weak, the foolish, and people that you wouldn't choose because he's goal-oriented, not issue-oriented. And if you're willing, he just needs a body that's willing. He'll work through you. He'll make, you, he'll make a donkey talk. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You're still a donkey, but... The Holy Spirit made him talk. Sometimes God will speak through you, old donkey. Yeah, he will. Sometimes. 
Now, how did Satan get to Jesus? He chose Judas, who opened himself up, and Satan filled Judas to betray Jesus. Satan had to find a vessel close to Jesus to get to him. Ninety percent of your battles will be with people. That's why we're told to love our enemies, because the people aren't really the enemy. It is the evil spirit over them or operating through them that is. Another example, Matthew 16, Jesus asked Peter, who did he believe that he, Christ, was? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you got that by revelation from my Father, Peter. You didn't get that from flesh and blood. The Holy Spirit of God gave you that revelation, and it's right. And then Peter goes from being super spiritual to super stupid in three minutes. When Jesus then declared that the chief priests and scribes and elders were going to take him and he would suffer and die at their hands, Peter shouted out, no, that shall not happen to you. And Jesus snapped back, get behind me, Satan. Ninety percent of your trouble will be with people and people close to you who are not listening to God, they're listening to the enemy. So Jesus rebukes Satan who put his thought into Peter so it could manifest. Be careful what you say. Everything you say did not come from God. Well, my mother died at 58, and she had breast cancer, and I'm probably going to die at 58. Who put that thought in your mind? That didn't come out of Scripture. That didn't come from God. Jesus redeemed me from the curse that I might inherit the blessing of Abraham. And any curse that runs through my family is broken in Christ. I have a right to new benefits. I declare them. I stand against the enemy. And I'm victorious. I prevail. Watch what you let others say to you. Well, at your age, you'll never get another job. I get behind me, Satan. That is not from God. So even though you're a Christian, your mouth and your mind can be energized by the enemy. So be very careful what you say. God told Joshua, listen, let my word dwell in your heart and mind, meditate on it day and night, and do not let my word depart from your mouth. Don't say anything but what I said. People do. I listen to it all the time. Years ago, we were in some battle. I don't know, the enemy attacked us or something. One of the the leaders said, "Well, well, we'll never win that. Oh, oh, oh. First time I had a revelation of somebody close to me with a wussy spirit of fear. And I said, that will never happen. This is a slam dunk. This is not possible to lose this. Sure enough, months later, we had total victory. And he comes dancing in and says, can you believe it? Can you believe it? We won. I said, I believed it before it ever happened. What happened to you? Well, he's not here anymore. That's a long time ago. And he shouldn't be here anymore tossed by every wind of doctrine and fear instead of what God said. God says, that which I have begun in you, I'll perform it to the day of Jesus. If I have to let you live to be 110, if I have to let your wife at 90 have a baby, if I have to back up the sun 10 degrees, it's not an issue. Well, I'm sorry I'm excited, but uh, forgive me. An enemy announces your destiny and declares God's anointing in your life. Opposition is a declaration that one thing is ending and a new thing is beginning. For David, his days of being a shepherd were about to end, and his days of walking in his kingship was about to begin. What was the catalyst to make the old end and a new begin? A giant, an adversary named Goliath. 
when Goliath shows up, David knows something's about to change. Nothing's going to be the same after the defeat of this adversary. When Israel comes into the promised land, God is declaring something's about to end and something new is about to begin. Slavery is going to end, Israel, and destiny is going to begin. But you're going to have to defeat the seven nations that are already there for that to happen. Defeat the seven nations and you'll never be thought of as a nation of slaves again. But you got to fight. You got to take down those adversaries. And then I'll put the fear and dread of you on all the other nations. You will never get farther in life. You'll never become more in life unless you defeat your adversaries. The average Christian in America's version of blessing is comfort, prosperity, and wealth that cost me nothing. So we get nothing because we do nothing, and we wonder why we don't get blessed. Blessings don't come upon you for no reason. Blessings flow from victory won on the battlefield of opposition. In fact, in fact, most, most of your influence, prosperity, and advancement will come through an enemy you overcome. Genesis 32, verse 26, Jacob wrestles with an angel in the middle of the night. They're struggling. The angel said, let me go for the day is breaking. Jacob said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. Jacob understands I've been in a fight all night, and I am not about to get nothing out of this deal. I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. So blessing becomes the spoil for the victory. The reason David got King Saul's daughter and became tax-exempt and was moved into the house, the palace of Saul, wasn't because he was a blonde, blue-eyed cutie. It's because he won the battle against Goliath. People want victories, but they don't want to fight. They want a blessing, but they don't want to labor. They want to wear a title, but they don't want to take on an enemy that's in front of them. But if you don't defeat your enemy, you'll have that enemy all the days of your life. Can I prove it? Well, lots of them. Let me give you one. Numbers 33, verse 55. God says, if you will not drive out the adversaries of the land from before you, it shall come to pass that those you let remain shall become pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land where you dwell. Not confronting your enemy so you can inherit what God wants to give you will allow the enemy to cloud your vision of the future pricks in your eyes. You won't know where to go or what to do. You'll go from church to church, relationship to relationship, job to job, tossed by every wind of doctrine. You won't be able to stabilize your life. Why? You're being vexed by the enemy. People that roam and drift and float are not blessed. They that are planted in the house of God shall flourish. They shall bear fruit in their old age. Yeah, it's 70. Ugh. I think I'll rip off my shirt and do push-ups. Yes, I'm quoting God's Word, not being silly. I've been planted. I've only been a member of three churches in my whole life, and God pushed me out of each one, promoted me to another higher occasion, and sees I am not a drifter. I don't change churches like underwear or girlfriends. You get planted or you don't grow. You pull up a plant, and then you drag it somewhere else and plant it again. It will never nourish. It'll die. You've got to plant yourself in order to grow. And God did not call you to drift all over a city. I don't know where God put you, but if you don't know, who is going to know? Who sings your song? Well, I, you know, are there, are there any perfect churches? If there were, when you got there, it wouldn't be, so don't worry about it. 
But you better find some place to get yourself planted. But the enemy will vex you and drive you, and you're just never at peace, and you never have stability. We, we, we were talking the other day about people that we loved and knew so many years ago, and they are just like a ship adrift. They have no mooring lines. They have no direction. They float. They drift. Oh, they're here now. They're with them now. They're there now. They're there. They, they'll never bear any fruit. And Satan has robbed them of a future and their potential and the best God has. They'll go to heaven. But we're talking about our impact and calling on this earth. So the enemy fights you on the basis of who you will become. Who's your enemy? The one you refused to deal with the last time you were promoted. The one you kept in the closet. The one you failed to engage for fear you might lose. Most of us fight on the basis of who we see ourselves to be, what we have, our resources, our assets at the moment. We, how we see ourselves, that's kind of how we fight. But the enemy fights you on who you will become. So the enemy sees Moses not as a baby, but as a deliverer of a nation. The enemy sees David not as a teenager, but as a king. And the enemy fights them on the basis of where they're going, not where they are at present. Which for some of you should be a wake-up call if you see one of your children ongoing incredible problems, or you yourself, before you've done anything, built anything, achieved anything, why is all hell online against me? Then wake up, learn a strategy. The enemy is fighting you on the basis of who you are to become, not who you are at the moment. And if he can discourage you now or get you to jump ship, he wins. It's not about you personally. It's about what you carry, that treasure inside. Know that. The enemy fights on the basis of where you're going, not where you are at present. I remember thinking, I told years ago when our old location, we were debt-free. We had a few million in the bank. Oh, Jesus, bring back those days. And then we bought 68 acres of land here, paid that off, and then we built some at a huge financial. Then we had the recession, and then I told the elders, I said, enjoy our meals and the wonderful no-stress lifestyle that we have, because when we take over acreage and build, all hell will go online, because it'll be on the basis not of who we are, but who we are to become. And sure enough, like Nehemiah, about halfway up, all hell goes online to discourage you or to stop you. And if you're not strong in the Lord and you don't know who you are in Him, you'll jump ship and bail in fear instead of facing your What it does to me, it strengthens my resolve. If I thought, I remember the, the demons said out of a man to the seven sons of Sceva, a high priest in Israel, they said, Jesus, we know. Paul, oh God, we know Him. Excuse me, who are you? preached a sermon called, Are You Known in Hell? And if you're not a target, you have no, you're no danger to the enemy. But if you've got a future and potential and a dream, you've got the chance to influence people. You have the chance to make a difference in the world. The Holy Spirit can work through you, and the enemy knows it, so he goes online to stop you, to kill you before you get strong. We call that sudden death infant, sudden infant death syndrome, where a little baby dies prematurely, and Satan will come at you when you're premature at your weakest point to try to kill you there, knowing you're going to be a lot harder to stop once you get to be what God made you to be. It may be impossible to stop you then. So I wasn't surprised at all. I'd be surprised if the enemy never picked on me. All that would just say is that you, you're no factor at all. Get out of the way. I'd rather be a target 
You know, when, we, when you go to war, when the first strike goes in to attack any enemy, you take out their communication, you attack areas that are most dangerous to you first. You don't attack anything out there. You specific targets of, of, of influence. And I'm thinking, Satan's only got limited forces. Only a third of the angels fell. Two-thirds are still in force with God. I, I thought, I was talking to a guy last week, and you know, he's, God gave him a vision, and he knows who Leviathan is, and he's got the zip code for every demon in San Antonio. And, and I said, you need a revelation of Jesus, not every demon in hell. There's only one name I need to know. And the Bible says Jesus is a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue confess, He is Lord. I don't give a flying fig newton what the name of a demon over the hill country is. All I know is He's under the authority of Jesus, and I, like you, have been deputized by Jesus in His name to tread on Him, to bind, to loose, to cast out, and to have victory. So if I could just get a whole bunch of Christians to agree with that, we could become a bad-to-the-bone Green Beret SWAT team, a SEAL team, and take the enemy down. So the enemy sees David not as a kid, but as a king. I want to remind everybody, Summit's not possessing Marshall Road, our learning center, our student activity room downstairs, our coming athletic center on the basis of who we are today, but on the basis of who we are becoming. That's why the enemy jumps in front to try to stop it. So we're becoming, what we're becoming is larger and better and stronger than who we are now. What you're becoming is larger, better, and stronger than who you are today. But we have to fight in order for others to see what's in us. Nobody saw any potential in David, but the enemy did. And David had to fight to prove to others, wow, God's with this kid. You can go through the Bible and pick out Rahab, the, the, the prostitute, and God chose her uh, because He saw potential in her others didn't see. Maybe nobody sees it in you, but the enemy sees it, and God sees it, and He wants you to see it, or the enemy will call your bluff, patronize you, intimidate you every time there's a fight. So I've got to believe. I have to fight for the enemy to see and for others to see, hey, we're here to stay. We're not going anywhere. Anybody planted by God's going to bear fruit even in old age. That which I've begun in you, I'll perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. No weapon formed against me will prosper. It can hurt. It can delay, but it can't prosper. And God said, if I set you, nothing can upset you. I'll finish the work no matter what. If I have to open the womb of a 90-year-old woman and get her pregnant or make a 100-year-old man have a baby without Cialis and any kind of additives or whatever. Uh, I can back the sun up 10 degrees. I can fill water pots with wine. I can make a jackass speak. Get a bigger view of who God is. Forget who, who, what a demon's name is for crying out loud. Be, angel, be God conscious, angel conscious, Holy Spirit conscious. Don't be worrying about all the demons. All that is is the enemy trying to drag a believer over into a distraction from that which is ultimate victory. I only have to know one name. You want to open the doors of heaven? Jesus. You want to shut the gates of hell? Jesus. That's the only name that's important to me. So the anointing in you, in me, the call of God, the purpose of God that you yourself don't see, the enemy always sees. So you're bigger and stronger and better than you see today. But if you keep relying only on your natural resources and strength today, you'll never amount to who you are to become. So don't fight with the weapons of now. You fight with who God has declared you to be. 
I may not feel like it. I may not look like it at the moment. I'm being processed, but I am who God says I am. And if God declared you to be a giant killer, don't freak out when giants show up. If God called you to bring people into prosperity to help them, don't be intimidated by recession or downturns. If God called you to walk through hell, don't complain when it gets hot. In Genesis, thank you, brother. In Genesis 32, verse 26, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the angel said, what's your name? He said, Jacob, schemer, trickster, heel grabber, supplanter. And the angel said, your name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, you have power with God and with man, and you have prevailed. Think about it. The angel gave him power with God and man because he prevailed in this battle. Your anointing influences both men and God, heaven and earth. But if God changed Jacob's name to Israel, from that point forward, why does God always refer to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because he's the God of your weakness and the God of your strengths. He's got your back and he's got your front. He's already covered your past and now he's unlocked your future. And whatever you used to be, don't go there. Don't let others drag you back there. The enemy always wants you to dwell on your past. Who do you think you are? God wants you to dwell on who you are becoming and who he's made you to be. Now, when you've got a treasure, I would assume most sane people guard it. If you've got something priceless and valuable, you want to guard that thing. If it's money, you put it in a bank vault. They have guards around it. Precious, valuable things require protection. And wherever there's a treasure, it becomes the focus of thieves. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power might be of God and not us. You, believer, are the vault of the treasure of the Holy Spirit. And to get at that anointing or call or purpose or destiny, Satan has to crack the vault. He doesn't care about you or me. He's after the treasure in you that you carry, that you may not even see. Satan is after your potential, your calling, your purpose, and your influence. So don't take an attack personal when family or friends or people slander you or betray you. That's why you are commanded to walk in forgiveness. The enemy wants to break you to get at the treasure in you. And if he can attack you unfairly and unjustly and you become bitter and full of anger and unforgiveness, you're toast. He can destroy and wreck your whole future. Anything that will cause you to give up, quit, turn back, be discouraged, that's what the enemy wants to do to get not you, the treasure in you, the potential you carry. I was talking to one of our members running for public office in our city, political office, and I said, the enemy hates your guts. You're a person of great influence. Corporate officials and attorneys like you. They listen to you. You're actually a leader among those people. And if you actually achieve that office, your influence is going to go way beyond your little office. It's going to affect major players in all forms of government and law in the city. Not only that, you're a very, very 
aggressive Christian brother as well. The enemy's fighting not just you. He's fighting the treasure you carry that could bring great harm to his kingdom and control even over a city. So why wouldn't all hell go online against you? But I said, you cannot take a media person as the enemy. They're just used by the enemy because ultimately the enemy is what Satan fears that you carry. And if he can do anything to scare people away from you, intimidate you to give up and quit, he will. He will. Jesus said the same thing in Luke 11. He says, basically, the only way to get in a man's house is to bind the strong man and spoil his goods. Now, that means to take your anointing, your calling, your purpose, your destiny, he's got to first bind you, crack you open to get inside so he can destroy what you carry. A couple of last thoughts. God's favor and God's blessing will stir jealousy and create enemies. Enemies of your own family, Joseph, his own brothers attack him, going to kill him, then sell him into slavery. We could just list person after person, enemies of your own family, out of jealousy. When Joel Osteen became the largest church in America, preachers on television went insane criticizing him attacking this poor kid who didn't even ask for the job. Daddy died. He got pushed out on the stage, and God gave him incredible favor. And if you look at him, you'd say, how is that possible, God? And because it isn't achieved by great doctrine or great scholastic activity or because he squints or whatever, it just drives other men mad. They're jealous. Listen, forget the world. People in your own family, people in the family of God attack each other. devil doesn't have to work hardly at all. Then there's enemies at your workplace. Daniel. His three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel 6, verse 4, then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. This guy has been captured from Jerusalem. They've been brought into Babylon. They have now found favor. They're very wise. They're sharp young men. They've been promoted. They have the ear of the ruler of Babylon, the king of Babylon. And the people that are natural officials are jealous of these outsiders who have become insiders and captured the ear and influence of their king. And they're mad as heck about it. And so they go plot strategies in order to get these guys out of office or killed. Daniel is not intimidated. He refused to stop praying. He even prays with the windows open. He's taken, thrown into a lion's den on false charges. God smites the lions with lockjaw. The king comes the next day. Daniel is fine. The lions aren't, aren't moving. And he commands that all the men that conspired against David in the government be thrown into the pit and eaten by the lions. And David is promoted to a higher place of influence than he had before. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow to a 90-foot golden statue of the, the king of Babylon, an idol, because as Hebrew boys, God says, thou shalt not have any other god before me. So idolatry was a prohibition. They were very good, easy guys to work with. They could accommodate the king pretty much, but they couldn't bow down to an idol, and they refused they were thrown into a fiery furnace. The fourth man comes to walk in the fire. They walk out. There's not the smell of smoke on them. The king looks at it and said, holy cow, your God will be our God. Anybody who speaks against your God, I'll feed them to the dogs, and I'll make a dunghill out of their house. 
and he changed the government and the law and honored Jehovah God, that means that adversaries produce promotion. You face that adversary, and God will use it to his own advantage to promote you. And these men were all raised to higher places of authority and influence than they had before the attack. Now, you got to remember, they didn't know it would work out that way. Number three, spiritual enemies. 1 Chronicles 21, 1, and Satan stood up against Israel. 1 Peter 5, 8, our adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, roams around seeking whom he can destroy. And four, friendship enemies. Job 16, verse 2, he said, I've heard many such things, and miserable comforters are you. These friends of Job were not saying what God was saying and were falsely accusing him of having sin because of all the hell that's come on his life. But we go back and get to read Job 1 where God says to the devil, Job is the best man in the earth and the richest man in the earth. Have you considered my servant Job? And yet these comforters declare there's something wrong with Job. And by the way, when bad things happen to good people, the good people around you will say there must be something wrong in their life. What a dumb statement. I'm telling you, just there are some people worse than the devil, even though they may be believers, they don't know an ounce of God's Word, and their mouths are used by Satan to bring discouragement and condemnation and guilt on people unrighteously. And here is a good case. God is so mad, He's going to kill them. But Job prays for his friends because our battle is not flesh and blood. It's principal and power. This case was Satan himself was working on Job, and he prays for his friends. He forgives them. Guard your associations. The enemy gets to you through connections. The Philistines couldn't touch Samson until they got to his girlfriend Delilah. And they went on Facebook, and she gave them information about, about, about I'm dramatizing, about Samson. And she loved him, and she didn't know what they were going to do with that information. And so here's somebody close, even being beguiled to give information so they can go and kill this guy. The chief priests, scribes, and elders couldn't get to Jesus till they got to Judas. Watch out. Guard your connections. And last, the spoils or blessings that come when you overcome an adversary are threefold. Number one, prosperity. Number two, advancement or promotion. And number three, rest. If you're not at rest, you have an enemy that is yet to be defeated. When you defeat an enemy, God always gives you a season of rest so you can enjoy it. It's not one battle after another. It's a battle. There's a victory if you win it, and then there's a season of peace and rest. And God says, I'll make your enemies to be at peace with you. So there's a season of rest. But don't worry, you'll have to fight again somewhere in the future. The longer you run from your adversary, the stronger he gets and the weaker you get. If you knew what was in you through Christ, all anointing, all power in heaven and earth, and all authority, he says to his church and to his people and to his disciples, behold, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And I give you authority in my name, that's how you get it, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. 
No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, I'll loose in heaven. I give you authority in my name to cast out demons, to heal the sick. Then no financial situation for the moment would shake me. No infirmity would panic me. Why? Because of the treasure I carry. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're no longer a slave. You're kings and priests unto God. Well, I don't feel like it. He's made you to be that. You either accept that or you just, you stay intimidated by the enemy. Well, I don't have a good past and I don't have a good family and I was unwanted and you don't know what I've done. You don't know what he's done for you. That's what you don't know. Hell knows it, but you don't seem to know it. Half the Christians in America don't know it. Or they wouldn't be so shook up every, I don't care if, the, if my assignment is not finished, stage four cancer can't stop it. A, 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 a slander can't stop it. A financial collapse can't stop it. And we can give you example after example. If God's not finished with you, then nothing can have authority over you. God says, but you're going to have to resist the enemy. And so, you're no slave. You're a king and a priest unto God. Act like it. Talk like it. Be strong. Stand up. Rebuke the adversary. You're not a passive little twit sitting in a pew hoping good times will come. You can make good times, but you'll have to fight to do it. If you're going to stay married 50 years, you've got to fight. If you're going to get well and handle adversity and kids and attacks and slander and all kinds of problems that come with any success, You'll fold up like a bad deck of cards. You'll unravel like a bad, cheap sweater if you don't know who you are and who he's made you to be. Defeat the enemy. Receive prosperity, advancement, and rest for your soul. Adversaries are not to be feared. They're to be defeated and overcome. And when you overcome the enemy, promotion comes. The benefits of an adversary are astonishing. God knows you need one to grow, to mature, to find out where you're weak so you can make yourself strong like Alabama didn't on their defense against Oklahoma. I could preach a sermon off of that. That was bad. You know, if you're still fighting the same battle 10 years ago today, you need to stop, face your enemy, and end this thing. Your whole future can change. And that, that adversary can be anger, unforgiveness, it can be lust and addiction, it can be rebellion, it, it, it can be the hurt because others attacked you, stole something from you, a mate betrayed you, divorced you and left, and left you in a financial bind and with children. The world isn't fair, but God is just and God will deliver you. God will provide for you. But you've got to conquer your hate and your bitterness and not allow that to ever let the enemy crack you open to destroy your future. I'm moving to where God told me to go, and I just bless my enemies, forgive them, ignore them. They're like a chihuahua chomping at your heel. It ain't no, it's not a Rottweiler. They've already been defeated. Now, God says, I've given you my authority. Use it or lose it. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.